Home is where you feel safe. For me, home is a uh, family, number one. Uh, my parents, let me be specific. Home is uh, a sense of belonging to a land, a country, uh, to people, to community. Home is where I feel safe, loved, and cared for. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, your weekly Lent and Easter podcast on refugee welcome in the Episcopal Church and across the United States. I'm Kendall Martin. And I'm Allison Duval. Welcome to Episode 10. Hometown is a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. Learn more about our work on our website, EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. This podcast is part of the Good Book Club initiative, which invites all Episcopalians to come together to read all of Luke and Acts throughout Lent and Easter 2018. You can find the daily readings, resources, and much more at goodbookclub.org. Find them on Facebook, The Good Book Club. The Good Book Club readings for this week are Acts 7, verse 1, through Acts chapter 10, verse 16. This week's reflection comes from the Reverend Christopher Bishop, rector of St. Martin's Church in the Episcopal Diocese of Pennsylvania, and founder and president of Stand with Iraqi Christians. We hope you enjoy this week's reflection. In 2015, I met a young woman named Lena living with her family in an internally displaced persons camp in Erbil, Kurdistan after they were driven from their home in Kermalesh by ISIS. She had been an average high school girl, going to classes, worrying about fashion and online gossip. Suddenly, she saw the only home she ever knew burned to the ground and her people being murdered. In a terrifying flash, she lost everything and could see no future. In the book of Acts, we meet a young man named Saul, a brilliant Pharisee and successful tanner living in Tarsus. He is also a merciless enemy of the nascent Jesus movement. But on his way to arrest some Christians, he falls to the ground in a flash of light and hears a mysterious voice. When he gets up, he can see nothing. For three days, he is blind and cannot eat. After Saul is reborn as Paul, as far as we know, he never went home to Tarsus again. Calling himself a citizen of heaven and traveling ceaselessly, he becomes the most effective messenger in history for this new thing God is doing through Christ. Lena told me that she missed home, but things that once had occupied her were no longer of importance. Grateful to still have her family, her smile fills the room. All she wants now is to walk with God because, in her words, God was the only one who never abandoned us. Her yearning is to love and care for her community and other displaced peoples of all kinds. And in Iraq, they are everywhere. When I asked her what was next, she simply smiled and shrugged. Of course, yes, I want to go back. But my home now is wherever my people are. Where they are, I am too. At St. Martin's outside of Philadelphia, our relationship with displaced Christians in Iraq has once again broken open our hearts. Today we are committed to assisting families like Lena's go home to their war-ravaged towns and cities containing some of the oldest church communities on earth. 
and this is crucial to helping make whole lives war has torn apart. But I remember something else Lena said. The Lena I knew back in Keramalesh is finished. Now I want to go home and study medicine. We have to heal the wounds of this place. The miracle of Easter is the miracle that Lena and Paul's story share, and in fact all of us share. And that is that over and over again God reaches into the beauty, brokenness, and fear of our lives and draws us home again into the embrace of his all-encompassing love. Whatever our circumstances, God gives us a glimpse of who he's made us to be, co-creators of his dream of kinship and peace, a home for all of us in his heart. And just like Lena and just like Paul, it's up to us to be the hands and feet and voices and hearts that help bring that dream into being. was a really wonderful reflection and I think there were a couple things of note that stood out to me that I you know would really like to highlight I think the first is that Father Bishop hit on something we don't necessarily point out or bring up mm. all the time that I think is important to note and that's that the goal is always for displaced people to return home yeah the, the ideal is always that refugees are able to return to their homeland and resettlement is the last option. And within that, the goal is to keep families together. Yeah. And the second thing of note he said that hit me was that God reaches into the beauty and the brokenness and the mm -hmm. fear of our lives and he draws us home again. Mm -hmm. And I really love the imagery of God reaching into that most vulnerable part of us mm -hmm. and then pulling us back into safety and hope. And Whew, It gives me chills. Right? Yeah. And then calling us out of that to be the hands and the feet of that love. I think that's a really mm. powerful and beautiful way to describe that relationship. Mm. What, did, what do you think about it? Well, I've got chills just hearing you talk about it, honestly. So on the note of being pulled out of those dark places, it just makes me think of, I'm sure this experience is common for so many of us, but sometimes when we are in our own dark place we can forget that we're not alone so I th i'm thinking of that that we're we're really never alone and that lena's story exemplifies that in a way that i i can't even begin to fathom and the other thing that i really was struck by was that what saint martin's in philadelphia is doing with the the displaced christian communities in iraq and um, you know father bishop says that it's crucial to help make whole the lives that war has torn apart and that that is so critical for displaced persons all over the world who are sometimes in such vulnerable positions just like refugees who've who've been able to cross a border but that refugee resettlement does that too kendall i think you're you're so spot on to say that the goal is always that people can safely return to their homes no one wants to leave home but of course, our podcast is all about exploring when people have home stripped from them. How do they reconstruct meaning and community? Listeners, last week we provided background on Kosovo and the conflict that led to the refugee crisis of the late 90s. If you haven't listened, we encourage you to go back in your podcast feed and check it out. That background was in preparation for the main event of today's episode. 
the first part of our interview with Antigona Mahani, who's originally from Kosovo and came to the United States as a child. It is a powerful and inspiring interview, and we invite you to return next Sunday for the second part of our conversation. So without further ado, we're honored to introduce you to Antigona. We are joined today by Antigona Mahani, who is the Interim Field Executive Director for Episcopal Migration Ministries in Wichita, Kansas. Thank you for joining us today, Antigona. Thank you for having me here. So for our listening audience and the work of refugee resettlement in 2017, it's been a year of rapid and dramatic change in the federal policy landscape as it relates to refugees. Just to give a sense of how the numbers have changed. And then Antigona can give us a sense of what that's meant for her and her sense of mission in this work. In 2016, the last presidential administration, the Obama administration, had planned for 110,000 refugee arrivals. And so all refugee resettlement agencies, including Episcopal Migration Ministries, had worked very hard with our local resettlement partners, with volunteers and churches to ramp up, to be ready to welcome and save that many lives. The new presidential administration, the Trump administration, which came into office, of course, in January 2017, had a very different approach to refugee resettlement, to say the least, and put in place a number of executive orders and then started the new fiscal year, fiscal year 2017, with a significantly lower refugee admission ceiling for fiscal year 2018, which at the time of this recording, we are now entering into. This has had a number of ripple effects across the refugee resettlement program and, of course, for Episcopal Migration Ministries. And Antigona, I wonder if you can speak to how the changing policy has also had something to do with your own story, with your career path in the last year, and also with your renewed sense of commitment to the work that we all do. Yeah, I think it's important that the background as to why I'm here, really, because um, I had a really successful um, career and, and, and position with Kentucky Refugee Ministries, an agency that I hold near and dear to my heart. And uh, But an opportunity came um, where an agency in Charleston, West Virginia, was going to um, be open. I, of course, um, very ambitious a person who always wanted to be part of a structuring an agency from from the ground up, and I wanted to be part of that. And this was an opportunity where I, I had that flexibility, uh, and, and honestly, to, I had the opportunity to be part of that team who expressed dedicated much of their time to building this uh, this refugee resettlement in, in Charleston, West Virginia. Um, I, I took a leap of faith and I took a chance in hoping that things were going to move forward and um, with the vision that I saw from the people there, the board members, um, the community members, it just confirmed the decision why, why it was the right thing for me to do at that time. Um, unfortunately, you know, as we all know, with the recent events and, and, and everything else, the agency that I was part of it was affected by it, um, thus resulting a lot of changes, including my position. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the decision we make in our lives, whether it's for career or personal um, reasons, we're meant to make those because they're going to lead us somewhere else. 
So I, in a sense, I, I feel like I was meant to come here. It's, it sounds crazy, but there's just so many things that point out to that direction um, as to what I'm doing right now with the work that I am involved with EMM and the office here, the field office here. I don't think I wouldn't have been able to meet the remarkable group of people that are doing this job here if I didn't make that decision back in August. Here I am. I, I get to work with refugees. I, I get to actually do this job where I am very passionate about. So for, for people who are involved in this work, when it affects you personally and it affects your, whether it's your job or your, ref, your clients, which is with the refugees, it, it truly is heartbreaking. And it's one thing to see something in the media, but it's a whole other thing to actually be in the process of it and to be affected directly by it. So that's something that um, not a lot of people know, that when you're in this work, it's a completely different feeling. It's, it's, it's home. It affects you in many ways, and, and it challenges you, and it breaks you down, but then you come up stronger, and you come up, you know, you know, I always say that compassion leads to, uh, to solutions. So if you keep that, it's eventually you'll find a solution to, to that problem. So that's, that's why I'm really thankful that I have the opportunity to, to continue to do this work is that people who believed in me from day one, they still have. And, and it's given me a sort of a, a second chance, if I can say that, because I was terrified of losing this work, losing this platform. And I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I tried and it was just many nights and then days of thinking well what does what do i do now and i knew that this is this is what i was meant to do and eventually if if you know i'm going to leave it in god's hands and i'm going to take another leap of faith and i'm just going to say that if it's meant for me to be involved in these people's lives then i will get that opportunity and it's honestly i'm, I'm again from believer that if you if you love something so much, it's it, we will always be part of you. And, and like being here in, in Wichita, Kansas, in, in a in a city where um, progression of understanding and the level of acceptance is growing, it's a remarkable it's a remarkable process to see for the resettlement of refugees here. And so um, it's so much to learn, so much to to grasp and it's been a, just a wonderful experience to be able to, to share this with a team that's here, that's been doing this work, uh, remarkable work for the last six years. You have so much enthusiasm and passion for the work of refugee resettlement. I'm curious what you wish people knew about refugees. I love that question because, you know, I, I, have, I have a little platform that I use on my Facebook and one thing I, I, I share is pictures of children. And I share that because I want people to see that refugees are children. And these children are, are going to be our, our doctors, our nurses, our lawyers, our engineers, our, uh, our professionals, our social workers. You know? And that's the stigma I want to fight. I want to fight that, that idea that just because you're a refugee and you're, you're, you're children of refugees, that you don't get a chance in life. Well, that, that's the, the mentality that's been going around for, for a long time, even when I came here as a, as a refugee. And, and I, I wanted to change that. I wanted to, to show that these young kids have goals and they have dreams. And, and you ask them and they'll say, I want to become a police officer. You know, I want to become an engineer. I want to become a pilot. 
to me, if we, these are professions that one day will affect our lives and our children's life. That's what I want people to know, is that what we're growing, we're raising a new generation. Um, you know, this, their parents made a sacrifice to bring them here because this is the only country where they're going to get that opportunity, like my father did, you know. If my life had, if I had decided to stay, which I didn't have a choice, but for instance, if I had gone back immediately, I wouldn't had the impact that I was able to make or the, the impact that has been made in my life. Um, and, and I wouldn't trade that for, for anything. And so that's why um, the work that I do, regardless of my, my role uh, or my leadership role, I always maintain the direct client, direct client, the refugee relationship with the refugees because I want to, I want to talk to the children and, and be the beacon of hope and say, my goodness, just 18 years ago, I was there. I came the same age as you did. I went to the middle school. I went to the high school. I, I played this sport. I played soccer. I played softball. But then here I am. And, and you can be here too. Because oftentimes I would get to I get these refugee children coming to the offices and said, when I grow up, I want to sit in, I want to have an office job. I want to sit in your desk. And I said that too. I said that, you know, and, and it's just, it's like I was deja vu. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm viewing myself <laughs> when I was 12 years old because it's the same conversation that I said. And I'm honestly, I'm thinking long-term, I'm thinking community growth. I'm thinking everything that you want in the community that you want to raise your children to. Um, and I couldn't think of a better way than to remove the stigma that many people have on red children and they don't realize that these are our future. I've heard you speak before about when your family was resettled to Louisville, Kentucky, that you had some very important relationships when you were, as you said, in middle school and high school. You had some important relationships with people in Louisville that made a difference in your life, could you could you speak to that? I never had important mentorships. Though I was mentored, um, and I was I was given those people who decide to remain in my life didn't let me give up and taught me the importance of 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 course education of doing the right thing and um, a lot of a lot of that what I do now is direct impact that was made to me as, as a kid, giving back, whether it's time, whether it's buying children gifts or anything that involves just giving back to community has been, for me, I've learned that through, through the eyes of these people that have remained in my life. For me, if it wasn't for these people that have shaped, honestly, the person that I am today, I don't think I would be here. There was many instances where I didn't want to give up. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go to school, especially my first year. It was a, it was very challenging. Um, but then I had these people who believed in me and, and, and saw what I see now in many of the refugee children that I meet. They saw me. They saw the now me. And I cannot stress how important it is for, for refugees to have that relationship with someone whether it's from the resettlement agency or a community member. And it really starts with these community members or leaders volunteering at these ref, you know, resettlement agencies to build this, this report, to build this relationship, because you're creating a lifelong relationship. You're creating a bond 
that you will not be able to get anywhere else. And it's something about my work in Kentucky Refugee and everywhere I go really is is to be able to uh, get to know, get to know this, uh, this new neighbors, um, get to know these children, make your children become friends with their children, you know. That's how we can change this stigma. That's what happened to me. Someone gave me a chance. And there's a reason why I'm here. Thank you so much. Well, I'd love to hear you speak to the topic of home. And I'm interested when you think of home, uh, what you think of. Did Louisville become home to you? Is home where you were born, where your family came from? Or is, is home continually evolving for you? It's a really good question, but at the same time, it, it's it's thought-provoking question. As a kid, you know, I was old enough to know what I left behind, but I was young enough to be able to accept a new home. And I was lucky enough to be resettled in Louisville because of its acceptance of, of me and my family and, and my culture. Um, of course, my first home is, is my birth country, the first the only home I knew growing up for the nine years, you know, when you're in a situation where you're running from your home, you lose touch of that. Um, you lose touch of home, you lose touch of time, you lose touch of well, where does home go, you know? Is home wherever you go as long as you're with your family? So it's, 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 it's tough for, especially kid, uh, for kids in, in, in my age, my maturity level was pretty high, so I knew exactly happening. I was aware of, of my surroundings. I was aware of leaving everything behind. You know, unfortunately, in my situation, I saw my home being bur burned down to the ground. So everything that I knew and, and that I thought I knew was gone in an instant. It became, at one point, it became about escaping that um, because it brought bad memories. Again, we were so lucky to be resettled in a city where we found that comfort of home. We found that level of um, being able to, to feel safe. Um, and I think that's what I want to talk more about is home is where you feel safe. It's not, it's not the object. It's not what's in the home. It's if you have your family and if you're, if you're sleeping at night uh, and your, your, your nightmares are kind of like slowly, slowly going away, that's home. And for me, Louisville has provided that, has provided that for the last 19 years. It has given me a great outlet in terms of education, my career, and being able to go back to an agency that started it all for me. I don't think, you know, I would be able to get that anywhere. And I truly, I really think that I was, it was meant for me to experience what I've experienced to be able to be here. Um, again, everything does happen for a reason. Losing my first home led me to my second home. So that's, that's, that's what's home been for me is I had to sacrifice my, my first home, basically the place where it all started but it led me to, to a wonderful new home where I see my nieces, my nephews being raised. I, I was raised in that same town, same city, surrounded by the same people, the people that met me when I was 12 years old, 
to still remain in my life, you know, even now. So that's really honestly what's been home for me is, is truly feeling safe and accepted in that environment and being able to, to capture every opportunity that has been given, you know, to me. And I've never felt uh, that I didn't have that in Louisville. Listeners, thank you for joining us this week. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. We invite you to prayerfully support Episcopal Migration Ministries with a donation. No gift is too small, and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit episcopalmigrationministries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Our theme song was composed and recorded by Abraham Mawinda Ikondo. Find his music at abrahammawindamusic.com. Tune in next week and tell your friends about the Hometown Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are EMM Refugees. Until next week, peace be with you and all those you consider home.